How you doing? I'm I'm feeling pretty good. It's a Saturday morning and the weather's nice. It certainly beats probably back where you are. It's uh, th- four degrees, I think, here. I don't even know. It's cold. Actually, it's, it's seven degrees here. Seven degrees there? Yeah, where you are, it's showing minus eight. I can tell you this. On Monday morning when I woke up, it was minus 26, okay? And I don't know what the wind chill was, but it was minus a lot more than that. It was cold. Very cold. There's a de- been a debate recently about wind chill and that wind chill is just sort of a b- bunch of BS. I can tell you that I was shoveling my driveway on Sunday night and there were periods of there were periods of wind. And when it was windier, it was an awful lot colder, an awful lot colder. So I think uh I think those people are trying to stir up some nonsense. Yeah, I, I caught the gist of it in uh, in a flat news flash. I've got one of those Amazon Alexa things, and I can ask for a news news briefing. And uh, one of the main stories it comes from the CBC was about wind wind chill being. Um, there's a debate about it being misleading or not really a real number. And I look it up here, it just says wind chill is a mathematically derived number designed to let us know what the outdoor temperature feels like to our human skin, not how it affects the mercury in a thermometer. Some want to do away with it, arguing that a limited formula can't accurately predict how the weather will feel to everyone in their own unique environment. Those who support it say that even with its flaws, the wind chill still gives folks a better idea of what to expect before they go outside. For those with strong opinions on the matter, the debate rages on. Yeah, okay, rages on, yeah. Who is raging about this? Yeah, there's like a bunch of men in a room shouting at each other, no, you're wrong. I told you the wind chill was, don't you ever take my wind chill away from me. Yeah, (laughs) so stupid, Unbelievable. I can tell you, I, I know for a fact, when you're standing in the cold and it's windy, it's colder than when it's not windy. Yes. End of story. Yes. It's the I same agree. as true when it's a sunny day. I mean, uh, the wind cools it down. It is. So I, I understand what they're saying. They're saying like the temperature, they're they're assigning like a temperature to it. It's minus 26, but with the wind chill, it's minus 36. Okay, fine. Do away with that. Just say it's minus 26 with the wind, it's bleeping cold. Uh, Right? Yeah, yeah. It's colder, yeah. a lot colder. But I think you got to do what works. And to me, wind chill, if someone says it's minus 15 on the thermometer, but with the wind chill, it's 30, minus 30, I understand what that means and I can relate to it. So leave me alone. Give me that number. It just means, to me, it just means it's colder. Does yeah, it means than it's, we think. Especially, well, it's not colder. What? Oh, right. It's not. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay, whatever. Well, I'm going to let the I'm going to let the experts debate that. In the meantime, I'm going to bundle up. Let the uh, experts rage on. Rage on. It. Yes. All right, what are we talking about today? Okay, well, voices in our head. You want to do that one? Yeah. All right, voices in our head. Actually, it was a good week for that because I had uh I had some experiences at work this week and uh you and I have both discussed this um how I think as human beings, I wouldn't say most, but many, let's say, is it fair to say most or just many? 
many people, maybe most, hovering on most, um, have this internal sort of dialogue going on with themselves, which is kind of a barometer or measuring stick of saying, did this work out for me? Do I need to change? There's always this constant reevaluation of what you just said, how you just acted um, in any different, sorry, in any given or a different situation. So that, you know, the next time you can sort of approach a similar situation with some of the lessons that you learned and then you can kind of do better, right? So Mm -hmm. that inner dialogue is always taking place, I think, for most people, let's say. Yeah. Um, But you and I, I think we've talked about this with when it comes to work and having like a, a boss or a superior. And you and I, I think, are both in or have both been in a position of leadership where we have subordinates and they report to us. And I think you and I have that that conscientiousness like we're, we're we're sort of concerned for the other person and when we have to sort of say to that person hey um i need you to perform at a little bit higher level we kind of take that into that meeting and we say you know we don't want to hurt anyone's feelings right but we definitely want to get mm. the best out of them whereas yeah. there are certain people and you and i have both had bosses where they come in it's like six guns ablazing, right? And mm. and you know, it's it's difficult to work for somebody like that. And then because you and I are so I don't want to call it analytical, but we do analyze a little bit the things that come out of our mouth, the things that people say to us. I would say we're quote unquote sensitive, but not like crybaby sensitive, right? So Yeah, we're feeling yeah. more sensitive. We're we're feelers. Yeah. We're feelers. We evaluate. I think yeah. The, yeah. We feel and it's a, certainly a type of personality. When you do some of these um, personality tests, uh, you know, there's Myers Briggs and there's there's um, a bunch of these tests that that disc I think is one that they, they measure different things and how you're supposed to interact and and there's definitely a feeler category yeah. for personality and and feelers are are a, a very important part of part of a team like so I think it's good though you don't want to have five if a team of five five feelers is probably not going to get a team to move the ball forward but like one or two feelers and then you know the different types of others you know whatever the opposite to a feeler is one that looks more black and white at things and doesn't feel first they just sort of they're very logical thinkers or they're they're and i think you can be logical and a feeler at the same time but they don't shoot from the hip necessarily they they think it through and one of the things that that has has sort of struck me is over the years, I've been in jobs where I'm told, well, you need to be less like that. You need to be, you need to push harder or you need to stop thinking. Have you been, have you spoken with a boss and said, oh, by the way, this this felt to me that, you know, you were angry with me or that you didn't think I was competent. And that's the response that you got. You need to change a feeling that way. I've had conversations more on more on a casual basis with a boss or in a group environment where it's the different types of personalities. I mean, I've had I yeah, I did have one boss who was one of my favorites who who said to me that you've spoken about him before. 
he came to me once with some feedback to say that that one of one of the, one of his peers so kind of he someone who reported to him actually not really his peer but a senior person in the organization had given him some feedback about me and that they had gone uh he just that we i had traveled with this individual and done some meetings and the comment the feedback that he gave to my boss f- about those meetings was that yeah he needs to push more he needs to pull more out of people in meetings like with the clients like get more information speaking of you push harder yes okay. yes yes and you know he in the terms of how he gave me the feedback it started off with you know the the sandwich i think you know the, it starts positive and then they give you the negative feedback and then oh, they end on the yes. positive we talked about this last couple of weeks ago yeah yeah i'm gonna bring that up in a minute by the way okay so but the the feedback was yeah you need to push a bit more and i i've done a another f- it's called the Leadership Versatility Index Test, LVI, uh, where it it actually, it's like a, a circle, mm-hmm. and it has yep. different areas of stuff in the circle. And it what it what the, the test gets to is that there's nobody, it shows where you are in certain areas. If you're, if you're a high pusher, uh, or if you're, you know, someone that sort of sits back, it shows sort of, I wish I had a visual, but... I actually know what you're talking about. I've done that test too. Okay, so the the premise of the test says that nobody should be too far in either direction. Like, you don't want to have a pusher that's like a 10. Like a 100% pusher, yeah. You want to have, and you want to have a balance through the wheel. So in some areas, it's going to be six or seven. Some areas, it's going to be minus two, minus three. So to just show you, but the idea is that you have to be able to change in certain situations, and it shows you what your dependency is. And this all comes from feedback. It's like a three. It's a three sixty feedback. So the the scoring that comes. I can't remember if you. I think you do do your own evaluation in it, and then you, do. you get like a you get a three sixty, like what you feel about yourself, and then what others think about you. Yes, and so it's a really interesting uh, yep. analysis. I was always, I'd always been kind of fighting against it, thinking I've got to change because people say I need to do this, and it, rather than embracing it as a strength, not a weakness. Mm. And the more evidence I see. I think we all do have to adapt in certain circumstances, but the more evidence I see is that you are better off being authentic and not trying to turn into something that people think you should be or something you think you should be based on a test or or the job you're in. Right, right. Yeah. You know, some jobs will require different things and I'm in sales, so people will say, well, hey, you can't be... A, a, a shrinking violet if you're in sales but <clears throat> right yes. you also there are good and bad salespeople who some are shrinking violets uh that are crappy because they just don't want to talk to anybody they're scared but also that personality can also lend itself well to sales because nobody likes the in your face sales guy either so no yep yeah that's true um so the reason why, but I, that, yeah, but the voice, yeah. So back to the voice. So back to the voice, the the voice that's in your head. Like you and I have both had the experience where you have been uh, in a meeting with a boss, or say, for instance, uh, doing a performance review. And I I do performance reviews for um, a few of the people that are under me, but I also mm-hmm. have one that's done 
to me or for me, right, by my boss. And um, this year, there was some concern for me because I thought, well, you know, I moved to a new job about a year and a half ago. And uh, it's it's a demanding job, very demanding, uh, very high very high stress, but it's also got its rewards as well. So it's got its peaks and it's got its valleys. And there were some points this year where I did admittedly struggle. I had some conversations with my bosses about those struggles uh, before my performance review. Um, And they were just basically saying, look, this is where we need you to be. And this is where you are. And we have faith in you, but uh, you need to you need to get there. And we're going to give you all the support you need, which is great. And and keep doing what you're doing because there's lots of good things that you're doing. We're not we're not trying to like slam you down, but this is where you know this is our expectation, and you're just a little bit below that right now. So keep working hard. Here's your support. You know, blah blah blah. Now, that's good. Uh, in theory, it's fantastic to encourage somebody that way and try to bring them to where they need to be. But when I hear that, I don't always interpret that as a good thing, right? So my brain doesn't work that way. My brain works like it, it, it almost picks up on all of the negative and almost filters out any of the positive. And I have to process this over a period of time. And it takes me probably about two or three days to process information like that. And it's even worse when it's something like if I get into a dispute with not somebody at my work, but somebody like if I'm negotiating something and there's a dispute with negotiations, Mm -hmm. you and I've talked about how, you know, somebody sends a snotty email and you're like, oh my gosh, you just want to respond right away and, and like tear them apart right but you can't you you have to and i and i i have often done this where i i will write one and then leave it and not put an address in it it's almost like to vent but i'll get back to that in a second so going back to the processing of information coming from a boss there's a lot of um I am sensitive and so i will take that information and it will beat me up and you have shared this experience, right? And so you've got the voices in your head that will say, you know, are you capable of doing this job? Are you, you know, do, do they not like me anymore? Does, yeah. you know, does anybody else not like me? Um, yeah. So the, you start asking a whole bunch of questions, which are probably unnecessary and ridiculous. And I'd be very interested to know how many people feel this way and, and how many people cope with it. I mean, how do they, how do they cope with it? Do they, do they, do they hear that and then go, eh, that's not really the voice I need to listen to. And then they just dismiss it and they carry on. Or do they carry it like you and I do, right? And it's difficult. It's difficult sometimes. And then and then again, I want to go back to the point where because I feel that way, I try to do that whole sandwich thing. And, and when people mm-hmm. do it on me, like when I had... Just and by the way, remind me to talk to you about my uh, my performance review, which was actually not so bad in the end. But you know, I try to do that sandwich thing. So when people do it to me, I'm like, ah, oh, you're doing what I do, and it's it's I do it on purpose. It's because I like to build people up, it point out where they need to improve, and then say, but it you're really doing good. Like don't don't take this all as bad. Everybody needs to improve, including me. And I will admit that I'll readily stand up and say, I know I can improve. I can be better yeah. in every yeah. area. So, yeah, um, no, and, and 
first of all, it's not abnormal to, to be this way. Originally, I thought that the reasoning behind it had something to do with survival in the, in the wild, like going back to humans in... What was that? <laughs> it was hey Siri, some Siri thing. Is that your watch? <laughs> yeah. Because you said serious, right? So, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Serious brought Siri to the yeah. to the forefront. Yeah. Keep going. Keep going. This is good. Um, oh, yeah. So, originally, I thought negative voices were as a result of human instinct in terms of, like, survival. Protection. You, you, you go, right. Yeah. You go out into the wilderness hunting for your food, but you always have to be worried about that saber-toothed tiger Right. Looking out. over your shoulder. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That, and then that's what um, that's where it comes from. Now, I did look up. There's a particular article I found. It's titled "When the Voice Inside Your Head Turns Bad." It's by this woman, Melanie Greenberg. She's uh, it's a the website. We'll share it later. Psychologytoday.com. Mm, interesting. I wanted to find out. Yeah, I wanted to find out where do the voices. So she has a little section here. Where do the these voices come from? So psychologists believe these voices are residues of childhood experiences. I would totally agree. Yes. Automatic patterns of neural firing stored in our brains and disassociated from the memory of the events they are trying to protect us from. While having a f- while having fear-based self-protective and self-disciplining rules probably made sense and helped us, us to survive when we were helpless kids at the mercy of our parents, they may no longer be appropriate to our lives as adults. As adults, we have more ability to walk away from the unhealthy situations and make conscious choices about our lives and relationships based on our own feelings, needs, interests, etc. So, brilliant. Yeah. When I yeah, when I Google this, I mean, you, the, the, these are some of the things that come up. Don't silence the negative voices in your head. Leverage it. Mm. Five ways to quiet the negative voices in your head. Oh, I'm uh, sure it's all over the map. Yeah. Eight eight surprisingly effective hacks for getting that negative voice out of your head. How to stop listening to the negative voice. Stop negative voice. And uh, somewhere in here it said... Uh, don't try to stop it. I mean, it's it's like yeah, I know it's all over. Of- yeah, I well, I actually did read a book on this years ago, and one of the things, and it did help a lot. Actually, okay, actually, there's two books that I read that I thought were really great, and I'm a bit of a worrier. So there's a work, uh, there's a book called How to Stop Worrying and Get On with Your Life. I don't get on with life. Yeah. Yes, I've heard I, of it's it. called. Yeah. It's by um, Dale Carnegie. I can't remember the exact title of the book, but it's old. It's we'll written it. kind of in an old way. You know, so it doesn't have the same language that you and I would talk in today. But the yeah. stories are relevant in the sense that even though they're old stories, if you kind of extrapolate what is trying to be communicated, you can pull that stuff. Yeah, there you go. And start living. That's the one. Yeah. How to Stop Worrying and Start. So I read that book. And there's another one, and I can't remember the name of the title, but it talked about the voices in your head. And it says, you know, when those negative voices hit... Let them play. Let them play. Because it is part of that self-defense mechanism that, you know, if you want to debate whether or not it's an ancient thing that started from the a million years ago or whatever it was. But the the point is, um, let the voices play and then basically say, all right, I get it. 
it's just there. Those are voices that are trying to sort of play out the negative side. Uh, they've got their point. They've got their place. But I'm going to evaluate the situation for what it is, and I'm not going to listen. I'm not going to pay attention. I mean, I'm going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to allow them to play, but I'm not going to listen to the voice in the sense that I'm I'm not going to take its advice. Right. So, mm. eh, I don't know if that book was helpful or not, but I understood the point. <clears throat> How to stop worrying and you- start living though was actually quite good. Anyway, just to, to cap it off, my performance review had come up and I was really fretting about it. Uh, there were some areas that I did great in this year and then there were some areas that, you know, quite frankly, I did struggle in. And, and I don't think any company anywhere looks at the whole individual and says, this guy is a 10 all the way across the board. I think everybody has an area or two maybe three, that they can improve in. And I don't think anybody cares about that as long as you are improving or you're excelling in the areas that you can excel in and in the areas that you're weaker in, maybe someone else on your team can pick up as you begin to develop that skill. Like, nobody's going to be perfect at everything. So anyway, my point is, um, when I was walking into my performance review, I was extremely anxious And I thought, oh, they're going to harp on the negative because this is the way my brain works, right? They don't, Mm -hmm. my brain doesn't think, oh, they're going to totally sandwich this and put some of the the good things as well. Right. And I was very worried about the negative points. And I went in and and by the way, this is like one of those self-evaluated performance reviews where you give a mark and then your uh, superior also gives a mark and you make some comments and then they make some comments, right? So I went in. This Sorry, this is that or this isn't that? This is, yeah. Yeah, this is, yeah. So I kind of tried to be as, I guess, uh, as accurate as I possibly could in my um, in my performance review. Like your self-assessment? Yeah, my self-assessment part. And in the end, my uh, my boss actually bumped up a bunch of my uh, my own assessment marks and said, you know what, I actually think you did a lot better here. And there were some great, great... I, overall, the performance review was actually quite positive. In, there was very little negative that was spoken of. I walked out of that thinking, I've that was great. I felt encouraged. I felt strong. I felt motivated. I felt empowered. And that, that's great, which is good because... Honestly, a boss should do that. Someone who is above you should make help you feel when you come out of a meeting like that, that you are empowered and you can continue to improve and do well. And I, it was it's great. Rare. <clears throat> Very rare. Very rare, though. That's the problem. And yep. that, I would say, if we were to put our list of five characteristics of a great boss or put, you know, put that would be on the list for sure that empowerment versus, you know making you feel negative so how to empower someone some a bro a boss that can empower you to do your best work is is got to be like number one as far as great a good characteristic for a, a great boss yes and i have a great boss i don't always agree with uh well i have a few bosses so i don't always agree with them uh, I don't always uh, believe that they're making the right choices, but as far as leadership goes, they do well. So I'm happy. Yeah. I'm okay. 
Lewis Black says in one of his comedy bits, if you are so staunchly Democrat or Republican, if you are so far on one side, then that person would scare the crap out of me. Can you sorry, can you repeat that again? He basically said that if you are so staunchly a liberal or a conservative, right? Um, if you're one, like only ever just one side or or the other, that that person would scare the crap out of him. Because it's true. Like you and I have had this political discussion before. Nobody is 100% liberal or 100% conservative. You're mostly one side, but you bleed into the other as well. Anyway. But some people don't allow that. They, they will refuse ever to see the other side of something. So I wonder how many conversations took place over the holidays that ended, that were based on politics, especially the recent yeah. stuff that's going on, the government shutdown and yes. Donald Trump. And I wonder how many thousands, if not millions of conversations have occurred over the Christmas holidays where politics have resulted in family members getting into arguments. And then not like speaking to each other like ever Somebody again. storming yeah. out of a room. <laughs> Screw this, I'm out of here. Yeah. In our own family or friends, circle of friends, there were three of them that occurred. One was with my parents. Uh, the other one was a friend who... Uh, they were visiting a relative, and this this friend got right into like Donald Trump, and these they went toe to toe where wow. the, to the point where she one of one of the people ended up in the bathroom crying over it. <laughs> is this a mutual friend of ours that was involved in this? Yes, <laughs> he has very strong views, but yes, go ahead. Well, then actually the, the the other example is probably the guy you're thinking of. It was uh, a, a heated debate about uh, fake news and about mm. um, immigration. And it ended up being um, one person was doing a really good job of just being quiet, not really responding to all the this right. sort of attacking almost that was going on. Like, you know, in your country, yep. this is how it's, it is and this is how it was and it, it it was one of those things where the person did everything in their power not to engage and did a really good job. Did a few comments, but did a really good job. But then the spouse of this person had like a heated exchange the next morning saying, don't, you know, don't speak to my wife like that. Like, that's totally inappropriate. And then he himself got into an argument about some of the issues. And it was just that, and it just made me think how many of these types of conversations went on over yeah. the holidays? Yeah, yeah, uh, for millions. sure. Yeah. It had to be. Had to oh, be. yeah, yeah, yeah. Very polarizing topic for sure. Did you know, apparently, that Costco now sells a 27 pound tub of macaroni and cheese? It's pre-made, like I don't know. I don't know. Like, what is it? What do you mean? Like that? Like it's like a, a craft dinner in a box, but this is a tub, and then you mix <laughs> it up, or or is it like ready to ready-made tub? Of- no, it's not ready. No, it's not ready-made. It's like it's supposed to last like twenty years. It's twenty years of macaroni <laughs> and cheese. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. I mean, could you imagine twenty-seven pounds of macaroni? I mean, macaroni is pretty light. You think about how much is in a box of mac and cheese from Kraft. But is Dinner. it mac and cheese or is it just the noodles? No, it's mac and the cheese. Mac- 
Yeah. Okay. Uh, so right. I don't know if it comes. And how like, much does it cost? I'm gonna look that up right now. Actually, I'm gonna see if it uh, if it has a price. Here it is. I'm Let looking at it. I'm looking at it. Twenty-seven pounds. Twenty-seven pounds. Twenty-seven pounds. It's uh, it's eighty-nine ninety-nine, and you get. I'm sorry. Okay, sorry. It you get a hundred and eighty servings of chef's banquet macaroni and cheese, <laughs> which de- delightful. Yeah, it's very tasty sounding. The company says it will remain edible for up to 20 years. So mm. Mm. Uh, I guess that doesn't mean it will, like you won't, it, there's not enough to last 20 years. It's just that it will last 20 years. Don't some alarm bells go off when you hear statements like that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. But I mean, does pasta go bad? I guess it, I mean, I know it does if it's cooked, but if it's got a lid on it and it's protected from the air, I don't know. But this isn't just the pasta. This is the cheese too. Which that's I true. Which is some sort of a powder. It's powdered, yeah. processed inside out and backwards and... Heavily chemicaled, Yeah. You should see the you should see the video with it. It actually looks pretty tasty. They hmm. it they uh, it's probably not the same mac and cheese, so they probably picked like this gourmet mac and cheese. But anyway, yeah. So I thought that was that was something that I wanted to bring up because I wasn't sure if it was true or not. And um, there's too much valuable information in there that tells me that it is true. Yeah. So that's kind of a sad day. That I just found out that there's a 27-pound tub of macaroni and cheese. I won't be buying it. And uh, I'm certainly not hauling it back to, to Tokyo with me the next time I'm there. No. Can you imagine bringing that to the airport? <laughs> yes. Just a- anything, to cl- anything to claim, sir? Yeah, just a couple of tubs of mac and cheese. 50 pounds. 